When I am down and oh my soul so weary When troubles come and my heart burdened be Then I am still and wait here in the silence Until you come and stay a while with All right, good evening. Bless you guys. Thanks so much for getting on with us this evening. Appreciate your prayers tonight. Please turn to Psalm 19 if you would. Teachings titled Long-Term Living, which I hope we all get to do. And although the whole world has been under the prevailing influence of the evil one, that's First John 5, 19, remember? Most people think God's in control of everything, but of course, that's not what the word says. He's in the trenches with us moment by moment and uh, one step ahead of the enemy. So... Um, that started when Adam forfeited, as I think you know, his God-given earthly dominion to the devil. Uh, but the state of the world today certainly appears uh, to be worse than anything any of us have seen during our lifetimes. It's, it's pretty crazy, and I'm trying not to focus on that, but focus on the Lord. And uh, in the first century, life under Roman rule uh, was no picnic, to say the least. And on top of that, the believers had the Jewish hierarchy persecuting them vigorously, uh, but the technology did not exist to thoroughly assault virtually all of mankind simultaneously. And today, it seems that technology is being used to do that. So, so what comes our way each day uh, requires an overriding hope that gives us a vision of a new world to come with multivariegated blessings beyond our imagination. And we don't know everything about it, but uh, we're looking forward to finding out. I think most believers probably associate our hope primarily with Christ coming to raise all of our loved ones who have fallen asleep, and rightly so. That is obviously a huge aspect of the hope. And as you know, if you read our mid-August email, we uh, a month ago tomorrow, we lost our precious brother, John Lindquist, and the sting of his death is still searing, especially to his dear wife, Sandy, and we appreciate you keeping her in your prayers. She, I don't know if you've lost a spouse. My dear wife lost a spouse 20-some years ago, and I know I've never had a spouse die, especially in my arms, but I'm sure it would feel like half of me was amputated. So seeing John's smiling face again will be beyond scintillating. That's the only description. I mean, that's weak, but that's the best I can come up with. Uh, however, besides spending forever with, let's say, millions, I, I'm guessing maybe it's billions, because uh, it doesn't take much to get born again. And of course, eventually we'll be with all those believers prior to Pentecost. So uh, it's going to be a well-attended party. Uh, spending forever with them in a sterling paradise, I'm sorry, a glorious paradise, 
There is significantly more contained in in our hope, only some of which is set forth in the word. So I'm sure there will be every good thing that we enjoy now. Fellowship, think about it. The, the closest people to you in the world, how sweet it is. Well, that'll be obviously amplified. Uh, and of course, Christian fellowship always has something to do with food. And uh, certainly during the millennial kingdom, that's a thousand years of uh, food that's gonna really taste like what it was supposed to is pretty good now. How about creation, enjoying a renovated earth and then a new earth? Uh, we here in Indiana have had the last few days some of the most gorgeous weather, like low 54, high 74, and no humidity and just few fleecy clouds. I don't know about you, but that is so edifying to me. So we look forward to that. And I think there will be plenty of fulfilling, purposeful, and fun activities. Uh, I don't know what, but, you know, God wants us to enjoy every aspect of it. And uh, given that it may be a sin to bore people, I'm guessing there'll be plenty of humor. Don't know if this will be a pertinent example. However, one of the many crooked, inept, egomaniac, on-the-take doctors called up a patient who was dealing with a life-threatening illness. And he said, I've got good news and bad news. The patient said, well, give me the good news. The guy said, okay, you've got 24 hours to live. The patient said, my God, what's the bad news? I meant to call you yesterday. I love that one. All right, we're getting to Psalm 19. That's a good one. I'm guessing that you feel as I do when you look around the world today, and you see a bunch of bad guys getting away with murder, literally, uh, in that one of the most satisfying aspects of our forever future is justice. I hate movies where the bad guys don't get what's coming to them. And I think about the world today and what God and our dear Lord have to endure every minute of every day. And a point that you probably know, but it's, significant. Our hope is also their hope. Their hope is our hope because Judge Jesus is eager to give every human being, believer and non-believer, what he or she deserves, both good and bad. Now, I trust that you know for sure that you and I, as followers of Jesus, born again of incorruptible seed, have already been judged and found not guilty. And at the Bema, we will be judged for how we've lived since we got born again. So every good thing we do is getting chalked up on our rap sheet. Now, of course, in the police world, I guess, the rap sheet is the bad stuff that some guy has done. But as I was thinking of that RAP, the rap sheet, uh, I'm, I'm going to say it stands for rewards at present. And I'll explain a little bit more about that. So every good thing we do, and I'm talking about kind of, you know, a smile to someone who's down, a kind word, a lot of things that go unnoticed by people in the world, and maybe even by the people that you reach out to, to help. But 
God notices them. And uh, so every good thing we do is chalked up. And also every bad thing we do is chalked up on the rap sheet until we repent of it, at which time it is instantly expunged. You know those, oh gosh, most of you made it be too, too young, but we used to travel driving long days when I was growing up with my parents and we drove up to the Adirondacks, 900 miles. They'd give us, the kids, one of those little writing things with a wooden stick and you write on it, then you just pull it up and it disappears. So you can write a new picture or whatever. And that is exactly, you know, when we got born again, <laughs> the rap sheet was cleansed. Of course, then I started writing on it immediately. But when you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. And so Psalm 19, 11 to 13, I'm reading in the NIV. It says, by them, and the context is the words of the word, your servant is warned. These are interesting verses here. In keeping them, there's great reward. But who can discern his own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. That's one category. Next verse, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. So we have two categories, hidden faults. Uh, sorry, we're humans. We don't always know when we are blowing it, at least in the moment. Um, so the more we hide the word in our hearts, you all know that one, Psalm 119.11, that word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. The more we hide the word in our hearts, the more we hide our hearts in Jesus, the less we will sin against God. And of course, as Psalm 51 says in David's wonderful uh, words there, all sin is first against God. So I uh, remember back in the day, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, please. Back in the day, uh, I remember uh, receiving the advice of, hey, when you go to sleep at night, it's not a bad idea to just say, hey, Father, uh, if there's anything I did today that wasn't pleasing to you, please forgive me. Now, you might be able to remember some of the things, but if not, the hidden stuff, uh, you can repent. So I've followed that uh, admonition <laughs> pretty much. But So now here's, here's some really interesting verses, kind of along that line of what we just read, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 to 5. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, which was a mess. This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secrets God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. These are, this is very interesting here. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. That obviously does not mean, I don't give a hoot what anyone thinks. Uh, no, no, no. It's, let's read it all in the context here. He says, verse four, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. 
Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. That doesn't mean don't judge anything. Just let everything go, whatever. Obviously, that's not it. It's talking about judge Jesus having the final say. Goes on, he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart at that time. Each will receive their praise from God. So we, you know, we have this um, challenging and deceitful sin nature and sometimes gets the better of us without our even knowing it. Sometimes we know it. But in any case, uh, there's a great word. It, it's the word imitate. The Greek is mimeomai, the verb mimetes, the noun, like imitate is almost there in the in the Greek word, the English. And it's a wonderful word study. It it's only appears the noun and the verb, I think fewer than 10 times. And every use of it, Jesus is within a verse on either side of it or in the verse itself, very close to that. Paul said in Corinthians, be followers of me, period, no matter what. No, no. Be followers of me as I am of Christ. So up above there, we said, it says uh, each time, uh, at that time, each will receive praise from God. Look at Ephesians chapter six. We'll hit a few quick verses here. And then um, I'm going to close in 2 Corinthians 1. So at that time, each will receive their praise from God. So a big part of justice is rewards. And again, the word does not delineate exactly what those rewards will be. But there are a bunch of verses about them. And the Apostle Paul uh, was pretty focused on them, way more than I am. I don't can't say I think about that. I'm trying to think about it more when I'm in a challenging situation. And I say, no, I'm going to love. I'm going to serve. I'm going to, no matter what, I'm going to try to do what's right. And I will get a reward for that. Now that, in the heat of a moment, it doesn't seem to, you know, you don't know what the reward is. So it's, uh, it takes some mental energy to focus. But the more we know the Lord Jesus and how good and unbelievably faithful and magnanimous and generous he is, the more we can anticipate how good the rewards are going to be. So, uh, oh, Ephesians 6, 7 and 8. almost forgot to read them. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Flip to Colossians chapter 3. I'm sure you know these two verses. Colossians 3, 23, 24. I can't say I've mastered this one, but whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Again, it doesn't delineate all that's involved with that. And then it says, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. First John 2, 1 John chapter 2, one verse here, and, what, and then we'll 
in at home stretch here. First John 2, 28. First John uh, is quite a powerful uh, letter. Uh, 2.28, and now, dear children, continue in him, that, so that when he appears, he appears, just a small point, it really doesn't talk about the return of Christ, because that would make him absent now. Usually says, there are three or four Greek words, they all have a visual component. When he appears, I mean, I, I think he's got his arms around me right now, but I, I can't see him. When he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Well, uh, you know, that's pretty sobering because what that means, and I don't understand it all, but it means we could be ashamed before him at his coming. Not in some eternal sense, your slime, get in the lake. No, no, we're talking about what we talked about, the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, and the more real all of that is, the more it helps us day by day to walk with the Lord and try to manifest his heart to people. And Second John 8, one verse, it's along the same lines here, and it says, watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. I believe that back in the day, those of you who came from there, know what I'm talking about, our previous denomination, many of us. Uh, we were basically, as I remember it, uh, told that, you know, well, I remember one leader saying to another leader when they were stealing a keg of beer at a major function in Ohio, don't worry about it. All we hear about at the Bama is rewards. Uh, that's a bit stilted at best. So the rap sheet rewards at present, okay? So something we might need to have expunged, no problem. We just repent, confess, move forward. Don't beat ourselves up forever. Um, so the rewards, you keep adding, you can subtract also. And that some people from back in the day were like, oh, no, I I don't want to hear that. Well, it's pretty clear here. So uh, let's let, go ahead to 2 Corinthians 1. We're going to close there. I got two more verses. But uh, so here we are in 2021, still drawing breath and doing our best to serve our Lord amidst trials and tribulations. And uh, again, back in the day, we used to refer to problems as opportunities. And I think that was a valid way of looking at them because uh, thorny situations actually are opportunities for growing closer to Jesus if we understand that God's not causing them for us uh, and that he's right there with us to help us. And Philippians 3.10, you don't have to, I'll just read it to you. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes to know the power of his resurrection. I'm, I'm all for that. And, um, well, I'm all for wanting to know Christ, and I'm also wanting to know the power of his resurrection. But here comes the next part, uh, the third, third point here. I want to know, I want to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now, 
I don't think I remember hearing that when I was thinking about becoming a believer. But what that indicates is, listen to this, the more courageously we live as Christ did and live for him, the more we will be persecuted. And correspondingly, the more the Lord Jesus will strengthen, comfort, and sustain us. The sicker you are, the more his healing power still undergirds you because it goes to limitless depths and heights and deep and wide. So before we get to 2 Corinthians 1, I'm going to read you two verses. First of all, nobody really told me when I was, you know, first thinking about the word and this uh, at age 22 or something, that becoming a follower of Christ meant I was signing up to suffer. That's not usually the pitch from the evangelist or whatever, but 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 8, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So, Timbo, says Paul, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. I'm in jail, but don't, don't be ashamed of me for that, whatever. Rather, look what he says, join with me in suffering for the gospel, that's no period there, by the power of God. Just what I said, the more we suffer, the more power of God is available to deliver us, deal with our challenges, whatever it is. And uh, of course, you know, there's nothing worse than having pain and feeling bad. Well, I guess there's probably something worse, but it just makes it really hard to be chipper. So I'm gonna close with one of my favorite sections of the Bible, which will be a fitting crescendo to this uh, sharing from God's word. I'll actually read you one more verse from Romans after, but so 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 11. Now remember, 2 Corinthians is partners with 1 Corinthians. And what I've read is that Paul sent this epistle about six months after he sent 1 Corinthians. And you know, 1 Corinthians is just pure smoke. Titus went down there and had it in an asbestos bag, just threw it on the front porch and took off. Uh, and so Paul... Second Corinthians has a lot of heart as he comes back to these people whom he firmly reproved with pulling no punches. And there are, this, this section is priceless. And if you're into looking up some words once in a while, they're right here. There's some great things. I'm going to give you most of them. But so verse three, praise be to the God and Father. As we read these verses, think about whatever you're going through. I'm sure you have your current challenges. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. That word means deepest empathetic emotions. God. God could be a little vague. I mean, God. But when we see his characteristics, primarily, of course, in Jesus or in verses like this, then we can at least get a glimpse of his love that's beyond our comprehension. So the father of compassion and the God of all comfort, that is a $2 word. It means to call near, a summons for help, to call to one side for words of edification, exhortation, comfort, and encouragement. It's in here about eight or nine times 
in these few verses. So I will not define it every time, but that's what it is. The God of all comfort, who comforts, same verb, us in all our troubles. That's another word that's repeated in this section. The word is flipsus, a squeezing, a pressure from without so as to crush what is within. So he comforts, he calls us to him in all of our pressure so that we can comfort those in any, same word, trouble, pressure, with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings, that's a different word, it means the afflictions that Christians must undergo in behalf of the same cause that Christ patiently endured. And boy, do we need his help. Just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through him. The bigger the challenge, the greater his care. Verse six, if we are distressed, troubled, flipsus, whatever, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are distressed, it's for you. Let's keep reading because what he's saying is, if I respond properly in such situations, I can inspire or help others to do likewise because it'll be real to me. If we are comforted, continuing verse six, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance. That's another great word. Could translate it, hanging around when everybody else is gone. It's a great word. Um, patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And verse seven, our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, same word, so also you share in our comfort. And then he closes verses eight to 11. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles, same word, the pressures we experience in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Think about that statement. That's the Apostle Paul. So don't kick yourself if you feel the same way. So that we despaired of life itself. Now here's verse nine needs a little help, especially in the NIV, which has too many Calvinistic tints to it. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. It's really the word answer, but then the NIV says, but this happened so that, no, no, that's total Calvinism. God sets up problems so he can deliver us. So I looked up this word sentence and the commentator said regarding its use here, Paul would say, on asking myself whether I should come out safe from this mortal peril, I answered, I'm gonna die. So you got it? We felt we had received the sentence of death. In other words, I felt that he felt that the situation was too overwhelming. Then it says that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's about, oh, that's about the height of, you know, what, what's God gonna do better than that? Um, he raises the dead. Verse 10, he has delivered. That's a great word coming up three times in the verse. It means to draw to oneself, to rescue. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us again. On him, we've set our hope 
and he will continue to deliver us. That's past, present, and future. As you help us by your prayers. I can't tell you how much it means to me that anybody prays for me. So thank you. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. And I hope you'll go back and read those verses because they're some of the most comforting verses. And before I tee up a song to close, uh, Romans 15, 13, you may know it, says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of Holy Spirit. What a packed verse. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so you can overflow with hope by the power of Holy Spirit. We're going to play a song here called You Raise Me Up. And, uh, you know, we're getting out early. So I would hope that you will stay on the call for five minutes and listen to the words of this song. It's one of my favorites, and it's so in line with the verses we just read in 2 Corinthians 3. And as usual, I want to take the time to thank you. If you are a contributor to the Living Truth Fellowship, it means so much that you go to work, give some of your life, and choose to share with us some of the hard-earned money that you make. I can't tell you what a big deal that is for God and how much we appreciate it. So um, I will pray. And thanks again for being with us this evening. And anything we can do for you, please let us know. So um, Heavenly Father, dear Lord, thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy. Oh, everything you do is beyond our comprehension. Bless each precious person on this call. Forgive us our sins. Hold us close to you. Open our eyes to you and your goodness, your love, whatever it is we need to receive from you. And I speak healing to each person on this call that needs physical deliverance to manifest it. <coughs> In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Before we play this song, I want to tell you the mid-August uh, blurb that I hope we can get out on Sunday is called Healing is Yours for the Taking. And it's a brief I doubt it's six minutes read, but in any case, we've been listening to uh, a wonderful man who teaches about healing and who has seen incredible miracles in his healing ministry. And there are some principles in here that we've been working on applying, and I think it will bless you immensely. So look for that. And the closing song here is called, You Raise Me Up. God bless you. Thank you.